Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Edward Snowden published a memoir this week. It's called Permanent Record, and The Nation just published an excerpt. It's titled Love at First Bite, B-Y-T-E. For comment, we turn to The Nation's editor, D.D. Guttenplan. Don, welcome back. Great to be back, John. Well, Edward Snowden opens his memoir, I Used to Work for the Government, Now I Work for the Public. That change, she says, quote, got me into a bit of trouble at the office. The book was published this week on Tuesday simultaneously in more than 20 countries, and the nation excerpt appears pretty much simultaneously. The book's existence was a secret until it was announced on August 1st by Macmillan and Metropolitan Books and Snowden himself, who tweeted that day, I just completed an international conspiracy across 20 countries, and somehow the secret never leaked, close quote. When and how did you find out about the book? Was it before that tweet on August 1st? It was probably the day before that tweet on August 1st. So when I, um, this is a, a perhaps curious detail, but it happens to be the truth. When I came to New York to take over as editor of The Nation, I didn't have a place to live. So I stayed with an old friend of mine uh, who had been my boss a long time ago at Pantheon Books, Sarah Burstell, who's now the editor-in-chief of Metropolitan Books. And uh, she was being very mysterious, but I was too jet-lagged to notice until eventually (laughs) she let me in on the secret. Well, until now, Snowden has always said, I am not the story. What the government was doing was the story, but... But now he's written 432 pages about himself, several of which are in The Nation magazine this week. I should say that I think it's a really interesting, excellent book. What is in the book is who he actually is, which turns out to be someone very different from the picture painted in the mainstream media and in all the media around the time that he made his revelations back in 2013. 
what's not in the nation excerpt but is in the book and which came as a kind of a revelation to me and which I allude to in my editor's note in the nation is that you know people uh, particularly his critics have tried to paint Snowden as some kind of un-American and what really emerges in the book is how deeply American he is and how deep his roots go you know I.F. Stone used to say that he always felt a little uneasy singing that line about land of the pilgrim's pride, land where my fathers died, because his ancestors had only just come over from Russia, as, as my ancestors had only just come over from uh, Austro-Hungary. But Snowden's ancestors came on the Mayflower. In fact, you know, the, the poem, The Courtship of Miles Standish, which was a Longfellow poem that people of my parents' generation used to have to recite in schools. Well, John Alden, who's the man in the poem, advised to speak for yourself, John, uh, by Priscilla Mullins, the, the woman he's courting on behalf of his friend Miles Standish, but whom he's fallen in love with. Those two are Edward Snowden's ancestors. He's a direct descendant. Uh, and he also says in the book that that's on his mother's side. On his father's side, uh, the Snowdens came in the 17th century they, his, one of his ancestors, Richard Snowden, was there to greet William Penn when he landed at Penn's Landing. And that the family used to, they had a grant from King Charles II for all of these acres of what became Anne Arundel County, which today includes the headquarters of the National Security Agency. So, you know, the idea um, that this person was someone who would act impulsively or lightly and who didn't have a deep sense that not just of American history, but of his own role in American history is completely dispelled by this book. And I suppose that to me was the, the first big revelation. Well, let's talk about the nation excerpt from Snowden's book, Permanent Record. It's called Love at First Bite. And I think it's my favorite part of the book. In some ways, it's also the most significant and, and memorable. It's about his youthful enthusiasm for home computers. Tell us about this period that in the nation he calls one brief and beautiful stretch of time that coincided almost exactly with my adolescence. The section we printed is a section about a young boy, as he was then, falling in love with computers and then falling in love with the internet and discovering this kind of wide open, completely free atmosphere where you could pretend to be anything you want. You know, there's the famous cartoon, Nobody Knows You're a Dog on the Internet. Well, nobody knows you're a 12-year-old boy either. And <laughs> Snowden was learning as fast as he could. And, you know, given his particular gifts, that was incredibly fast how to build computers, how to program computers, how to understand computer language, how not just to play games, but to hack them. And he would, he would send queries out in the early days of the Internet or to people who would be professors of computer science, for example. And he'd ask them, you know, how do I fit this processor or what do I do in this next step? I'm, I'm stumped trying to build this thing. And he would get back incredibly helpful step-by-step -step advice from people who had no idea they were corresponding with a 12-year-old boy. There's a remarkable quote here. To this day, Snowden writes, I consider the 1990s online to have been the most pleasant and successful anarchy I've ever experienced. What did you think about that? I thought that's a really significant remark for lots of reasons. One is because Snowden, this person who's now become, you know, subversive number one, 
was someone who signed up to join the army after 9-11, who in his online adolescence going through shedding his chameleon skin persona after persona was basically a kind of a right-wing libertarian, making lots of arguments in favor of guns, trying to say things to provoke people. And one of the points he makes is that, uh, that because there was no permanent record, because nobody knew who you were, because people spoke through personas and aliases that were everybody acknowledged that they were doing this, uh, and there was no effort. The government and corporations had not yet forced people to link their online personalities to their real-world identities. He could take outrageous positions, but then abandon, him, abandon them when he grew out of them. Part of what he's talking about is his own arc of development from being a kind of right-wing libertarian who wasn't really concerned about power at all, and certainly not concerned about the government's power, uh, to someone who was woken up through his own experiences and became incredibly concerned about that. And part of the reason he's concerned about it is because he sees the he saw the end of that freedom that had meant so much to him. He saw the end of the freedom to make mistakes online and to not be held accountable for them, to be able to just grow out of them. And he also writes of his youth, this is one position I think he still maintains today, I fully supported defensive and targeted surveillance. He's implying a sharp distinction here. What's the other kind of surveillance that he's against? The kind he's against is what he calls bulk collection. And that's the kind that he revealed. Again, to me, that was the other, the second most powerful revelation of the book. I mean, I had followed the Snowden's revelations pretty closely when they were published by The Guardian. Uh, I was living in England at the time, and it was front page news every day. But I have to say that until I read Permanent Record, I really had no idea how bad it is, because that's the point. I mean, he has a whole chapter describing this program, X Keystroke, which essentially allows the government to capture in real time everything you're doing at your terminal, everything that's being done within view of your terminal's microphone or, or camera, and then it, it archives it all so it can, it can be examined later. And as Snowden points out, it's not just, you know, the sort of embarrassing, you know, softcore porn searches or medical searches that constitute a lot of what people want to do in private on the Internet. It's everything you've ever done, everything you've ever looked up, everyone you've ever emailed, uh, every old, you know, connection you've ever tried to search for. And his point is that they now have all of that. They have vast data capabilities for mining it. And if they want to lean on you, and if you are a Supreme Court justice, a senator, a president, a presidential candidate, your entire private life is stored and offered for leverage to those in power. And that's a terrifying prospect. The book also gives us a lot of insight, or at least a lot of information, about Snowden's life today as a resident of Moscow, he's still charged as the Obama administration charged him with violating the Espionage Act, giving secrets to the enemy, which is kind of a strange charge since the people who received the information he revealed were the people of the United States. They're not supposed to be the enemy. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there are a lot of absurdities here. I mean, just 
Just before um, we began this interview, John, I got a, a press release from the ACLU because the Justice Department today sued Snowden and his publishers over permanent record because he didn't submit it for pre-publication oh. review to the NSA. Uh, <laughs> and the nation is also guilty of this, I believe. Well, we're, we're guilty. We haven't been sued yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know the ACLU is already on the case. I mean, it's, it's important. You know, we make light of it, but this is a big deal. I will say that it's important to note, and Snowden notes, that the Obama administration, you know, went after him incredibly hard, and unlike Chelsea Manning, who was eventually pardoned, you know, there were, there were no talks, there were no, there were no negotiations, there was no discussion about the fact that he performed this incredible public service of, you know, revealing what this rogue intelligence agency, the NSA, had done to us against the law, against the Constitution, and is still doing it. When it was revealed that the NSA during the Bush administration was conducting warrantless wiretapping on American citizens, which is completely against the law, what they did was they changed the law to make it legal. Obama never stopped this. He never acknowledged that Snowden had performed an enormous public service. They, they let Chelsea Manning rot in prison for years. So I think it's important to note that although Snowden can be perhaps difficult to deal with. I mean, I, we found the process of, of obtaining these excerpts difficult. I gather that the process of producing the book in secret was incredibly difficult. They, they, it was only written and edited on air gap computers, i.e. machines that were never connected to the internet. Um, so that meant that things couldn't be just emailed. They had to be you know, carried by thumb drive or some other mechanism. I don't, I, I, I'm not privy to the exact details, but nothing was sent over the internet. There were no electronic copies. When we started excerpting the book, we were not given an electronic copy. We were given hard copy, which we had to scan and then, you know, transform into editable copy so that we could edit it electronically. You, you begin to think this is ridiculous, but then you remember that they're really after this guy. And that if they catch him, They'll put him in prison for the rest of his life at best. You know, under the Trump administration, you have to say that would be the best case outcome. Trump himself and also Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have both said execution would be the proper way to deal with Edward Snowden. So you're absolutely right. He may have a comfortable life in Moscow right now, but we can't be sure that that's going to last forever. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Well, I think if I'm a Democratic president, I should pardon Snowden fairly early uh, and, and be grateful for what he's revealed. I think uh, if, if Trump gets four more years, then Snowden's going to be toughing it out in Moscow for four more years. And I suppose hoping that the Russians continue to believe that the propaganda value of having him uh, is worth whatever irritation they think it causes you know, their friends in the White House. Edward Snowden's memoir published this week is called Permanent Record. The excerpt published in The Nation magazine is called Love at First Bite, B-Y-T-E. Don Guttenplan, thanks for publishing this and thanks for talking with us today. It's a pleasure, John. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.